Hey guys, Duart here with Hit The Apex Podcast. How are you all doing? Hope you're all well. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in again this week. Another hectic weekend of racing to, to wrap up for you. God, what is it with, you know, Grand Prix in Italy at the moment? They just seem to be really exciting. I think even last year the Italian Grand Prix uh, at Monza was great too. The one that um, Charles Leclerc won. Yes, it's uh, it it did happen. Ferrari won races last year, albeit with a bit of an asterisk next to that, as you all know. <laughs> um, this year we've had we had Monza, you know, red flag craziness happened. Pierre Gasly won, and then now at Mugello, first ever Tuscan Grand Prix, first and possibly last ever Tuscan Grand Prix. Who knows if that'll ever make a comeback on the calendar, and. We get two red flags, we get all sorts of madness, 12 cars finish the race, and still Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton find a way to win, you know, and I think as well when you look at it, uh, sit back and analyse the race, you take off your fan cap uh, and, you know, put aside any biases and stuff like that, you'll say, gee, you know, Hamilton in particular worked really hard for that one and that win was really deserving not that you know all of his wins aren't you know but this one is one that yeah it was it was tough he was exhausted by the end of the race too and given the fact that he started on pole but then you had Valtteri Bottas get the better start in both in the first two starts I guess I guess the initial race start and then the first restart after the first red flag as well and then for Hamilton to basically yeah take that position back then basically Bottas was a bit unnerved you could say with some strategic calls as well which we'll get to a bit later and it just fell into it it didn't fall into Hamilton's lap he really had to earn it but it didn't help as well that Bottas had his own issues too so we'll get to that in a bit but first of all gotta say We've actually gone through eight races, eight Formula One races so far this year. And, you know, you look back a few months ago when we're, everything was basically being shut down due to the pandemic and everything. And when you look back to the cancellation in Melbourne here, we thought, are we even going to get a season? Because, you know, races are being cancelled or postponed left, right and centre. Are we actually even going to get to see any kind of motorsport this year or or not? So, real credit to uh, Liberty Media, the FIA, the teams, the drivers, everyone involved to actually get this season up and running. Yeah, it doesn't look like what a typical season looks like. You know, I'm sure people complain about not just F1 but other motorsport series as, as well that you know why they're doing you know back-to-back races at the same track you know and, and it's just like you know you could excuse everything this year as far as that sort of stuff is concerned and I have no big issue um, we've done it we're going to do it again at the end of the year in Bahrain even though they're going to use two different layouts so the fact we've had eight races completed which eight races was that minimum contractual target to I guess form a world championship so if for some unforeseen or tragic reason they have to cancel the rest of the season then you would crown your world champion um, after the race that's just gone past the Tuscan Grand Prix so not that I don't think Lewis Hamilton isn't going to win at the end of the 19 race season or 17 races sorry 
that we have but um it's just yeah got to put take the hat off and say wow we're basically halfway through the season now eight races and we got another nine races to go so um and one thing i am glad for as well is that we don't have any more triple headers apart from at the end of the season now so the two bahrain races back to back and then abu dhabi straight after that so for the next couple of months we can kind of rest easy knowing that we don't have to do three weekends in a row and that just sounds really selfish of me, you know, that I don't want to do three weekends in a row. I think more about, you know, the teams and the drivers and the crews and everyone who has to move around at that pace. But, you know, credit to what they're doing this year. Without them, we wouldn't have a championship. Without them, we wouldn't have anything to talk about or write about as far as, you know, F1 and motorsport is concerned. And that's where I get a bit upset sometimes, and I'm sure other people are the same too, when you hear people being very negative about it, you know, calling the races uh, boring and, you know, not much happens, it's it's all just a Hamilton snooze fest at the moment, I think that's really unfair given the current circumstances and if you really know the sport, if you know what's to come, what's coming in the future, you, you know where we've been as well, you know, as far as all the politics and um, previous management and stuff like that is concerned, you'll know that, yeah, we're in for a couple of years of pain. Well, not even a couple anymore. The rest of this year, which is why nine races, and then next year, um, given that we've got the same cars, and then 2022, it all changes. You know, there's a lot to look forward to. I don't think teams like Williams and Haas... Uh, would have signed to the new Concord Agreement if they didn't believe that they could see a future for themselves in the sport, you know, and a competitive future too. So, you know, if that's what we want, more competition, more close racing, we want to see multiple championship contenders and not just one team and one driver dominating, then 2022 is the year. You know, if you want to stop watching the sport from now until then, then by all means, go for it, but to constantly come out with, you know, a barrage of negative comments, just, it's, it doesn't do anyone a world of good, you know, there's, there's a point, or for me, there is a clear line between being critical, like, in an analytical sense, but then also just talking smack and talking rubbish about, um, about something so it sounds like the latter to me mostly and it's just okay well in a year where already people are finding it difficult to find things to be happy about why are you slagging off at um something that we all look forward to every weekend i mean these people still watch the races you know they're not going to stop watching but then at the same time they don't really read the room and will come in give their two cents worth and it's all going to be negative there's nothing positive to be found about it and that's where i think it's nice to not you know look at that all the time now you know detoxing from certain social media platforms as well and trying to avoid that kind of stuff and stick to people you know outside of that bubble people that i'm familiar with friendly with uh personally you know people that i get to see um under normal circumstances on a regular basis too because i know then they're not going to provide that same uh toxic and negative environment and um 
just criticism, you know, just negativity all the time. So, anyway, this is kind of getting off topic already, but I felt that, you know, I had to get that off my chest. You know, I could probably bang on about it for, for ages and get a bit more in-depth and stuff, but that's probably not something that we want to talk about on this podcast. It's more of a personal uh, thing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's nothing I would... Uh, talk about publicly that's for sure but anyway going back to the race it was a great race even though we had the same outcome with Lewis Hamilton uh two chaotic red flags 12 class cast 12 cars classified and a 90th Grand Prix win for Lewis Hamilton from pole position as I said before Bottas led off the start uh and I guess if we go back to qualifying Bottas was pretty quick all weekend you know he led all the practice sessions but in Q3, I guess his opportunity was ruined by a yellow flag with Esteban Ocon spinning. So I guess he kind of bemoaned that as well as a factor, but he got the better start anyway. He led into turn one. Uh, who else got a better, good start? It was Charles Leclerc, qualified fifth into third, while we saw Max Verstappen essentially just fall away. He was third. But there was some kind of lack of power or something. And he basically, when you look at the replay on board of the start, he just gets swallowed up by the rest of the field. So he was pretty angry and he didn't make it that much further into the race anyway. He made it as far as turn two where there was a multi-car pile up the first of two on the weekend. And thankfully no one was injured because when you look at those kind of incidents, you're like, you know, cars flying everywhere, debris flying everywhere, you worry about, you know, not only the drivers in the cars, but the marshals at the track too, so everyone was fine, so we had Kimi Raikkonen, Pierre Gasly, we had Lance Stroll um, giving Carlos Sainz a tap, which put him into a spin, Sebastian Vettel arrived on the scene, and um, managed to hit Carlos Sainz, but didn't get much um, damage out of it too, uh, nothing really, I guess they couldn't really conclude who was the instigator, I guess there was about 12 drivers or something that ended up with warnings from the FIA, uh, stewards after the race, Uh, so just some warnings, no real penalties handed down for that, Uh, we had the safety car obviously brought out um, after that, and Pierre Gasly, who was on a high after Monza, getting drawn back down to the lows, pulled back down and out of the race. Same with Max Verstappen, which is second, his second race retirement in as many races too. So you could pretty much say, yeah, if there was any kind of title prospects for Red Bull and Verstappen, that it's all over now. It's it's such a big deficit going back to him from the championship leader. But at the same time, they were all unharmed. It was all, they were all good. But yeah, obviously a bit annoyed that they were out of the race. So under safety car for some time, uh, restart was on lap 11. Sorry, not lap 11, lap 7, 7-11. I got that in my head for a, for a sec. Uh, yeah, so lap 7, we had the restart. And just quickly as well, before we get to the restart, Mugello is such an interesting track with the way the chicanes work that you can't really see multiple cars going through the chicane. And we saw this in F. We saw this in I think either F two or F three earlier in the weekend, where yeah, it was in F three. Sorry, where the championship contender Logan Sargent ended up getting taken out at turn two 
same as you know what we saw in the F1 race, and I think Jack Aitken in F2 got caught out there too, towards the end of one of their races. So it kind of all just bottlenecks going into the corner, and you can't really get three cars in there at a time. So there was bound to be chaos. Uh, chaos was bound to happen, given that when you come out of San Donato Turn One, it isn't far. The run isn't far into the left-hander Turn Two. So, yeah, it kind of was no surprise that we had the chaos, but the level of chaos that we had was um, pretty jaw-dropping. But, yeah, everyone was unharmed, which is the main thing. So we had our restart on lap seven, and basically, yeah, (laughs) the racing didn't last long. We had another pile-up on the main straight, which took out four cars. So Carlos Sainz, who had already come to wars in the previous incident, he got taken out. Antonio Giovinazzi got taken out. He probably looked worse off as far as, you know, when his car made the impact. Kevin Magnussen out and Nicholas Latifi as well. So that brought out another red flag, of course, with so much debris on the pit straight damage to the wall as well that they would have had to repair and you know any time that any kind of uh, circuit structure or wall or fencing is damaged that they've got a red flag the race that's a blanket rule across all motorsport I know there was some comments and people and even Lewis Hamilton said that you know there's some kind of conspiracy to make the races more entertaining by putting out red flags yes sorry no that it's nothing to do with that it's the fact that it is the fact when a wall is damaged they've got to repair the track before or repair that piece of infrastructure before they can actually go back to race and you know we can't really compare other motorsport categories but when it comes to safety their reasonings for putting out a red flag for example is pretty much the same so we saw in the Austrian double header for MotoGP the second race the steering Grand Prix Maverick Vinales's bike which you know he lost the brakes he jumped off the bike and then the bike went off in into turn one and hit the barrier that you know took ages to repair and they had to red flag the race because just one bike hit the barrier so it's a big thing they've got to pull out the red flag uh and Basically, I just lost my train of thought there. <laughs> so we had the first red flag board out anyway. Um, trying to analyse the crash and how this pileup occurred. Roman Grosjean was pretty critical on the team radio. He was saying that, you know, basically it was Valtteri Bottas's fault because he was in the lead and he was too slow to get away. But as a matter of fact, actually... Once you cross that start-finish line or the um, the safety car control line, the pace of the race is in Bottas's hands. So he can decide. He becomes the de facto safety car. He can decide when it's time to get racing again. So it's if anything, somebody in the midfield got a bit too eager, got onto the power, and then as a result, everyone else kind of copied. Because once you see a car in front of you go full throttle you do the same thing so there was some replays that perhaps suggested that George Russell might have been at fault in this scenario uh obviously as I said before no penalties were handed out they all cop warnings so Russell perhaps the instigator of this one but 
it's just a unique situation given that the where the leader can resume racing uh, is the start finish line because most circuits that you see in F1 you've got the finish line and then the start line comes after so yeah with the start finish line being where it is on the Magello track you're pretty much halfway down the main straight before the leader can decide to put the foot on the gas and get racing again so that's why I guess <coughs> the FIA aren't talking about you know changing or looking into their restart procedures and everything it just happened to be a freak occurrence and you know people weren't doing the right thing and hopefully next time it'll be fine <laughs> and we don't want to see a big crash like that again so as we know after red flags race director has the uh discretion of whether they start the race under safety car like a um rolling start or a standing start so we've got a standing restart this time and that was where Bottas got the better start uh, but Lewis Hamilton ended up getting the better traction coming out of the first corner had the outside line and took the lead of the race and I guess from there as well you know all the jostling for positions basically came behind them so between Hamilton and Bottas there wasn't really much movement there was a lot of chatter on the radio again about tyres and degradation and tyre life avoid the curbs Bono my tyres are dead um, and you know Bottas I guess a bit unhappy with the the strategy and everything as well but it was just interesting to see what was going on behind him because Leclerc off the restart or the first standing restart got relegated pretty quickly by Lance Stroll then Daniel Ricciardo came up behind him and also so did Sergio Perez which we'll talk a bit more about him later in regards to the news on his future but we had Renault here and Ricciardo sniffing out a podium they had a genuine chance to get that podium this weekend they had the genuine chance I guess for Cyril Abitable the team principal to get a tattoo done hopefully it ends up being something like a tramp stamp or whatever you know honey badger on his uh <laughs> honey badger down there let's not go into detail but yeah so Renault end up pulling the strategy trigger on lap 28 they want to undercut Stroll who is in that third position for the time being and then by lap 31 when Stroll did end up pitting it had paid off for Ricardo. so Ricardo was sitting third effectively on track Alex Albon got in on the action too so he ended up ahead of Stroll too but that, at that point, we were kind of focused back on the front because we had Bottas, who was calling on the radio to wanting to undercut Hamilton. He did on lap 32, but wanted whatever tyre Hamilton didn't put on, which I guess if you pit first, then it's kind of hard to do because, you know, the team or the driver that comes in afterwards will get to choose the tyre that his teammate's on, kind of, if that makes sense. So both ended up on the hard tyre, which, you know, didn't really makes sense when Bottas made that call I want to be on whatever tyre you don't put him on so <laughs> that just yeah didn't make sense at all Bottas ended up on the hard tyre Hamilton came in a couple of laps later put the hard tyre on too and what would have really just destroyed Bottas and I guess this is where the whole unnerving part comes and you could say perhaps this is championship over for him too is that after Hamilton's pit stop he actually came out seven seconds ahead of Bottas so yeah how do you bounce back from that and then you're on the same tires the team are telling you to save the tires you've got to watch the curbs and all this stuff and all that stuff and yeah I guess it was just 
crushing blow. You know, the race was there for him to win. He lost it on the first restart from the safety, uh, so from the red flag, and he wasn't going to get the position back in the pit stop. So, yeah, a tough one, tough one. Like I guess people are talking about, but potentially Russia. As uh, a track where Valtteri goes really well at, he could be in the sniff for a win there. But, you know, what's that going to do given that with, what, six wins, seven wins now this season? Yeah, he has had six wins this year, but we've actually had nine races. So you can completely disregard what I said at the start about we reaching our eighth race of the year. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew I was I was heading down the wrong path there. But anyway, yeah, Bottas did win the first race and then we had... Hamilton, then Verstappen winning at Silverstone, and Gasly at Monza, so completely disregard that, but anyway, that's all fine, I'm sure, you know, some eagle-eyed listener will point it out, or whatnot, you know, I'll send my thoughts and prayers and apologies later on in regards to that, but yeah, you know, you look at it, and where does Bottas bounce back? Answer is, perhaps he doesn't. It's all over. <laughs> Insert Nico Rosberg meme here. So getting back to the actual race now, our second red flag came out on lap 45. This is where Stroll had a monster crash at Arabiata 2. So, you know, it was so good. As, as I was saying last week, you know, the corners, uh, Casanova Savelli, the Arabiatas, they're going to be fantastic in an F1 car. Oh, yeah, they were taking those corners flat. They were really fast. And what was scary is that... Um, Stroll reported a puncher as being the possible reason, so basically just all of a sudden lost the rear and went, you know, pirouetting into the fence. He was fine, but the car was totally destroyed. They needed a vehicle on the track to recover the car. They also had to repair the wall too, which is why the red flag was brought out. No conspiracy there. And there you go, you know, second red flag, and just change the complexion of the race again, all the drivers were able to then uh, pit, you know, under the safety car, or red flag rules, I should say, apart from Charles Leclerc, who had already made a fifth tyre swap later, yes, I've said fifth tyre swap, because he just couldn't get the tyres working all day, and somehow they still come away to finish with points, did I mention too, that it was Ferrari's 1000th race over the weekend? Maybe that kind of slipped my mind, you know, it wasn't really much of a celebration, like I guess all the different things that they did, we saw Mick Schumacher of course driving his dad's 2004 title winning car around the track as well, which would have brought a lot of nostalgia into everyone's uh, hearts, the burgundy livery too, harken back to the 50s, but then you know just the on track performance for Ferrari didn't really back it up, so where did they finish, they finished um, 7th for Leclerc and P9 for Sebastian, Uh, and that was pretty much it really, yeah, Sorry, it was actually 8th and 10th. Getting my information all wrong today. What is wrong with me? <laughs> ah, it's, it's it's just terrible. Very terrible. Yes, it was uh, 8th and 10th for Ferrari. So Leclerc in 8th and, and Sebastian Vettel in 10th. They were split by Kimi Raikkonen, which I'll get to in a moment. But yeah, after we had our... Uh, second red flag restart for the day, Hamilton just basically led away, there was no stopping him, Bottas actually lost a position to Daniel Ricciardo on the start, or on the restart I should say, and then 
basically, you know, there was no chance that Ricardo was going to stay ahead of Bottas. So by lap 50, Ricardo was passed. And then also, Alex Albon looked really good at the end of the race too. So Albon, got to credit him, stayed out of trouble all day, was able to come back and pass Ricardo, which unfortunately meant that we got no Cyril Abitable tattoo for, the, for this weekend. But also it meant that we got Alex Albon on the podium for the first time. And considering all the grief he's been getting, all the bad press and everything, it uh, it was really nice to see him finally get on the podium about time. And he even said on the team radio after the race, you know, thanks for, you know having faith in me or something like that you know so I guess he probably had a bit of doubt in his mind too and you know a result like that can do all the give you all the confidence in the world and hopefully that's what we see from Alex in the future and then it decide to sack him because of you know whatever because I don't think anyone else is going to do a better job in that car to be honest next to Max Verstappen apart from maybe Max Verstappen take note Formula Verstappen, the uh, the clone series. <laughs> I'm only it's licorice tea, by the way. I'm drinking. It's not nothing, uh, nothing fancy. No, no alcohol in there. So yeah, maybe it's just the licorice that's uh, making me a bit funny, a bit loopy this evening. Anyway, um, also given the fact that we had so many cars out of the race and we had 12 finishes you would have thought that Williams would have had the opportunity to jag a couple of points and they did because George Russell was sitting nice and pretty in P9 only that he got a poor restart after the second red flag and dropped to P11 so it didn't take much for him to get past Roman Grosjean and got himself into 11th so the fact that the Williams is quicker than the Haas at the moment says a lot uh, sorry Haas and, and Grosjean but yeah it's it's true and also he was given the hope of some points potentially with a five second penalty coming to Kimi Raikkonen because of a um a pit lane entry infringement I can't remember for the life of me what he did but he was rather animated on the radio um and I don't think I've heard Kimi yell that loud before too it almost burst my eardrums when I heard he heard him say for what <laughs> best uh, you know it's not my best Kimmy impression but anyway but like going from the the monotonous tone that he has usually of a for what for what <laughs> something like that um but Kimmy ended up finishing p9 he got some points which you know was his first points of the season two he's not had the greatest year in the Alfa Romeo but because it's Kimmy he just does what Kimmy needs to and uh, soldiers on with it. <laughs> so Russell missing out again on points, but I think he'll be in a position where he will score points this year. Um, if not, then what's all the hype about? Did I really say that? Ooh, I better wash my mouth out because I know that people will really be upset about um, if you don't think George Russell is amazing. He's a great driver. That's for sure, and I think he just needs some luck to go his way, and hopefully he'll get those points that he needs, and also Williams needs too, so first race for Williams with their new owners following the departure of the Williams family too, so I think, you know, if he had scored some points this weekend, it would have been a nice tribute to, uh, to pay the family sir frank and claire williams but alas it was not meant to be and latifi as i said before he was already out of the race for that um 
uh, crazy restart that we had on the pit straight. So rest of the positions quickly. Perez P5, Lando Norris P6. So solid bag of points for McLaren thanks to Lando, even though we had signs out of the race. Danny Fiat P7 as well. So Alpha Tauri keeping up their point scoring record. Esteban Ocon, as I mentioned earlier, he spun in qualifying, but things in the race weren't really uh, good for him either. He had his brakes on fire, which George Russell was, I guess, the first one to see, supposedly. He was like, you know, you wanted someone want to tell Ocon his brakes are on fire? <laughs> so, yeah, Renault quickly realised that and ended up pitting their man, so that was not good for them. So most teams only scored you know, with one car today, I guess, because they only had one car make it to the finish line, except for uh, Ferrari, (laughs) except for Ferrari, and Mercedes, who scored another one-two finish, so looking at that then, you know, championship lead of uh, one million and one for Lewis Hamilton over Valtteri Bottas, it's not looking likely we're going to see, unless Hamilton has a string of retirements, we're going to see any challenge to him, but you know, constructors championship wise as well. Mercedes have pretty much got that locked in the bag too. So credit to them again for for the job they're doing. This is not me sounding negative. It's just me saying they've done a better job again, guys. Why don't you do better? You know, why are we blaming the sport as a whole for the shortcomings of the competitors? You know, Red Bull, are they going to blame a driver? Are they going to blame Albon for why they're not doing well or blame their engine partner? You know, that's how it appears to me that, you know, they just look to blame everyone except for themselves for their shortcomings. Ferrari, they're just, yeah, forget about them for for the time being. We've said enough about them. I'm still very critical on how they ended up in this hole, but I guess the fact is that they've actually realised what they need to do to get out of here. And they're putting those steps in place is actually positive to see. So, and you can't blame any of the midfield any of the midfield teams for where they are because that's as a you know consequence of the sport and where it stands commercially. That's where they are. So, yeah, they got to do a better job to beat Mercedes. That's it. And that's all I have to say really about the Tuscan Grand Prix, except for the fact that. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the junior categories um, and I was paying particular attention to Formula 3 over the weekend because it was the title decider and as I said uh, we had Logan Sargent the American crash out in the final race so that was him out of uh, contention which was good news for me because being an Aussie we were all getting behind Oscar Piastri and he won his first you know, well, his, the F3 championship, you can only win it once, as you do with F2 as well, so that was really good to see, young driver from Melbourne, uh, part of the Renault Academy as well, so he'll move up to F2 next year, and hopefully be on the path to F1, this is really exciting, that we had, you know, four Aussies in the F2, uh, sorry, F3 field this year. I also get behind Kiwi whenever they're in the field too, so I'm sure that'll make uh, my mate Dino happy there from Region, the Region E Racing podcast. <laughs> he mentioned on uh, their show this week, we had a good chat the last weekend. Um, so, yeah, it was good catching up with him and seeing what's going on uh, on the other side of the, on the ditch, other side of the ditch, I should say. 
I should say. But yeah, um, Liam Lawson, the Kiwi there in F3, and I think he won the race too. So that was good to see. One thing that I did kind of get annoyed with, and again, you know, it's not being mean towards particular people or anything like that, but JQ's Brit the Briton in F3, he's been in F3 for a million years, I think, having a whinge on the radio, it just sounded so, uh. and then in F2, we had, as I like to call him, Tan Dictum, or Dan Tictum, having a great big whinge, you know, you should, I'm sure it'll be on YouTube somewhere, but it just sounded like, dude, racing drivers don't talk like that on the radio, they just get on with it, you know, if they want to have a gripe, or if you want to have a gripe like that, do it after the race where people can't hear you, because all you sound like is a whiny little B word, in my opinion, not, you know, some, oh, look at me, you know, I won Macau last year, I'm the best, you know, like, I'm, I should have been Red Bull's next best thing after Sebastian Vettel, because that's basically Dan Tictum, you know, whatever credit people give him, he is the biggest brat actually yeah it was the fact that um you know Mick Schumacher was doing better than him or whatever in one of the lesser formulas and he just can't take the fact that yeah maybe he's not as good as he makes out to be so him whinging like that just yeah it's like you're just a whiny little person little person that's what he is so hopefully we don't hear much of that anymore um very negative but while we're on the subject of f2 and mick schumacher he's in the championship lead now so looking good for him i still i guess given the fact that you know the first half of the season or the first part of the season in f2 this year it was very inconsistent he was getting into trouble, incidents, as we saw at Silverstone as well with his teammate, and I was like, yeah, I don't think he's ready for F1 yet, and I know that they're going to try and push him into an F1 debut next year, but yeah, we just got to wait and see, but if he wins the F2 title this year, then I guess they've got no choice, there's a seat there at Alfa Romeo, potentially, it's a Ferrari junior team, basically, so yeah, it's, it's all going to depend on that, and while we're on that subject, let's, you know, get straight into it, and just offering my thoughts on the big announcement last week, uh, Sergio Perez out of Racing Point, and Aston Martin for next year, Sebastian Vettel in, so according to everyone on social media and uh, everywhere, basically, saying it was, said it was a worst-kept secret, I guess it was just a bit of a bit of smart arsery from from most people saying oh it was the worst kept secret whereas i didn't want to jump on that bandwagon so much because i thought perhaps there was a chance that seb might have announced his retirement you know whether this aston martin project would have been what he wanted and everything but you got to give him full credit that it was pretty cheeky that they announced it on the eve of the thousandth grand prix celebration for ferrari so little dig it is uh soon to be ex-employers so multi-year deal for sebastian vettel um, which is good for him because you know it kind of you know driving for another big team a manufacturer team of course a chance to revive his career as well at the age of 33 you know we forget that he's still very young and he won those four world championships for red bull when he was very young so are they going to be position in a position come 2022 to challenge for the championship we know they've got the resources and the finances there now so you know they've made some big steps 
in all those departments, a big step from when they were, you know, forced India a couple of years ago, possibly facing extinction. But um, I guess with the appointment of Seb comes the unfortunate departure for Sergio Perez. And Checo posted an emotional statement prior to the Sebastian announcement came through. So for those of you who don't know, Checo had a contract in place till 2022, uh, an extension that he actually got last year to stay with the team. You know, everything was rosy, but given the fact that Lance Stroll's got no exit clause in his contract, his dad owns the team pretty much, you were always going to get a scenario where, yeah, sorry, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to be it's not going to be Stroll Jr., so it's got to be you. And given the fact that Perez, he brings a wealth of experience, he you know, brings a lot of finances to the team as well with his sponsorship money from Mexico, he is well-loved within that team because of how he saved it from, from that extinction, as I talked about. So, yeah, like, you've got even his mechanics getting all emotional that, you know, this is coming to an end now and everything. But... Perez in typical humble fashion I guess was like you know you've got a four-time world champion coming to the team you've got so much to look forward to in the future don't worry about me kind of thing and I think you know Checo will end up on the grid somewhere next year options being either Alfa Romeo or Haas you know imagine like at Haas for example he and Nika Hülkenberg get reunited it'd be like that old Force India lineup and they were a no-nonsense lineup those two they they really got along they got the job done and that's how they got fourth in the constructors for a couple of years as well so you know I just yeah couldn't wrap my head around you know and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way can't wrap your head around the fact that uh, Sergio Perez has been essentially given the boot from from this team and the fact that yeah and I forgot to make note of this but here we go the fact that it was only the day before the statement came out or the night before the statement came out that he was tapped on the shoulder or given a phone call from Lawrence Stroll as well just doesn't sit well with me you know that's what's loyalty worth you know I know in sports things can be quite cruel and harsh but this guy yeah (sighs) anyway I've let my thoughts be known on this and um anyway like it it kind of makes me feel a bit bit it leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth because this was a team that you know everyone had a thing for them because they were the underdogs they were doing so well you always got behind Checo but Stroll Stroll Senior in particular he's done some stuff in the past when you look at past involvement in F1 and stuff like that and yeah yeah it's uh yeah just morally and ethically probably not the best but anyway we'll we'll see how they go Sebastian big coup for Aston Martin you know he's big into classic cars as well so I'm sure he'll try and talk himself into getting a DB5 or whatever like he did buy uh the 19 1992 red 5 Nigel Mansell's um F4 FW14B uh so that's a good car to add to his collection I uh, hear he wanted to buy the F2004 Ferrari but it was just a bit too expensive so I mean is it way more expensive than the money he's earning surely not maybe it is who knows um as well though zach brown ceo of mclaren has said too that uh if sergio is interested in 
perhaps a switch to IndyCar, he would be happy to facilitate him there at the IndyCar team, the SP Arrow McLaren team. So options are there for Checo, and I'm sure you know a team like Haas or Alfa Romeo would appreciate that funding as well if they can get it from his sponsors. Um, but yeah, you know, wow, it's it's done. I guess if we get an if we get another championship challenging team on the grid by 2022 in the form of Aston Martin, I think we're going to all look back on this and be like, yeah, but at the same time, as far as having the best lineup is concerned, where, you know, there's a bit of concern about Seb and his ability to race, you know, we haven't seen him do really well in the midfield over the last couple of years and or in, in a pack, basically, and Checo, he's your accumulator, he gets those points and he can race in the midfield really well. And he was able to get those podiums all those years for Force India. So without that experience in that department, um, not that Seb isn't experienced, but he's probably not as good as what other people think he is in overtaking and uh, having a clean race. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. Moving it on then, talk about supercars as we do every week. The Aussie supercars championship it's going to be known as the repco supercars championship or something like that because they've signed on repco as a title sponsor uh for five years deal going into uh 2025 obviously replacing virgin australia the airline which has gone bust i think it's trying to revive itself as well at the moment but the Category desperately needs money at the moment after the Virgin collapse and the title sponsorship falling through from them. You've got a new TV deal impending as well. So, you know, with Foxtel uh, looking to continue on as the pay TV provider and provider of all the in-depth coverage that they do, such wonderful coverage, probably some of the best as far as world motorsport is concerned with all the additional content that they do too. But we've got Channel 7 in line to return as the free-to-air partner. So when Fox first took on the sole rights to the channel, it was split between Fox and Channel 10. 10 was the uh, free-to-air partner, but over the years, 10's you know, output has severely reduced to the point where you only get a couple of races a year live or if they're not live, they're on delay or, you know, you could get a highlights package later on in the evening. So Seven seem keen to, you know, add another feather in their bow. They've done it before um, right throughout the like mid-2000s to the early teens uh, before they went over to Fox in 2015, um, they've got the crew as well there. You know, you, you know Mark Beretta, he's great. Um, wonder if they're going to try and get Matt White back on board as well. He was obviously shifted over. He was uh, he shifted over to ten obviously when um, the championship and the rights went over to there. So whether he'll be someone to make a comeback there, and then already you know they've got the. Um, TCR Championship, S5000 coverage there at 7, whether they're going to combine that all remains to be seen, but 7 really taken up all the major sports at the moment, you know, they've got AFL, there's ongoing dispute at the moment between them and Cricket Australia too, so I, I haven't tried to, I haven't followed it as closely as I should, but yeah, I can't really give too much information because I don't know myself what the details are. All I know is that Seven want a cut price deal at the moment um, because of you know COVID and everything. And interesting to note too, the um, head of sports or something, or you know, 
boss, big boss at Channel 7 is actually the former Supercars CEO in James Warburton. So he'll kind of be uh, hoping that this deal falls through and everything and is in place. And I think they're just, you know, waiting to make an announcement before Bathurst or something like that. So that'll come up shortly too. But we've got to look forward to the bend this weekend. Three 24-lap races top 15 shootout on Saturday and the same five sets of soft tyres this will be the Repco Bend Super Sprint um, using the normal international circuit and then next weekend we'll use the short 3.4 kilometre west layout Uh, tyres are not confirmed for that one yet and it is the first time that we'll be using that layout uh, in motorsport I guess I guess in supercars so that'll be exciting to see same names you should expect to see up there you know Scott McLaughlin and DGR team Penske was fast here last year um, and year before the Red Bulls were good so yeah we'll just wait and see how they all shape out and practice and given the fact that you know the previous double headers that they have been doing they've used the same layout both times it's not that you can learn use this weekend as a learning weekend and then hit it hard next weekend it's like this is standalone next weekend standalone because it's different layout different everything so yeah that's all i have as far as a preview for it i'm sure you know there'll be more to talk about when we come out of it usually in the supercars previews because it's so open you know you could have brad jones racing come out and win both races something like that it's it's just so exciting so leave it all to the imagination for for you guys to you know picture who's going to win who knows maybe jack smith will win um what's also something that we're waiting for in anticipation i guess is the 2021 calendar so that's apparently going to be due out in october uh already the announcement was made that possibly the adelaide 500 will be staged later in the year rather than as the first race will we potentially see a Bathurst sprint round open the season next year because you know the Bathurst 12 hour of course in its slot in February that could possibly be shifted back because it looks unlikely that we're going to be able to get all the international teams and crews here to and the drivers here to do the 12 hour as it normally is as a GT3 race so a lot of hurdles for them to to cross before we can have a definitive announcement for a calendar um street circuit logistics as well quite important and also a big one i guess is the australian grand prix which uh doubles as the melbourne 400 for the supercars whether that's gonna occur in whatever capacity it normally does it's it's so hard to say like sitting here in september what the situation here is going to look like in march you know i don't think anyone can predict that but there's been some kind of positive signs you know with uh premier dan andrews here in victoria saying that he wants to have um a boxing day test match with fans at the mcg for the cricket and other and the australian open tennis as well in january um here with fans too at the um at the you know Rod Laver Arena, Margaret Court Arena, all that sort of stuff. So, I guess the plan is to you know be at what he calls COVID normal by the end of the year. You know, heading into Christmas and everything, and this affects you know us in many ways here, not just for racing and for sports and for motorsport. It's our lifestyles that you know kind of depend on it, and our work as well. So yeah, it's it's a lot to 
plan out and try and get into place, come up with contingencies before they can make an announcement. It's not as straightforward as it what usually is. So it'll be interesting to see what decisions they do make if they do um, bring out a, a draft calendar or some kind of work in progress calendar next month. So yeah, fun times, I guess. Fun times. It's it's all flying past. It's it's good to have some finally it's finally good to have some good weather though. That's all I'll say. Good on you, global warming. <laughs> and quickly finishing off with MotoGP. Great win there for Franco Morbidelli at the San Marino Grand Prix. So you had F1 there in Tuscany, Mugello, and then down towards the Adriatic, you've got uh, Mizano and uh, the San Marino Grand Prix. So good on uh, Franco Morbidelli winning his first race in the Premier Class. Um, one of uh, Valentino Rossi's protégés, obviously. Uh, another one of his protégés finishing on the podium, Peko Bagnaia injured still with a um, dodgy leg he's still hovering around on crutches but finished second in the race overall and the man himself Valentino could have made it a VR46 Academy trifecta um, if he didn't get relegated by Juan Mir at the end of the race so the Suzuki rider getting on the podium Valentino coming in fourth so you know they'll be back there this weekend for for another race so Hopefully we can see the old doctor come up with a uh, a win or not a win, but even just a podium would be great. So funny his helmet design. You you gotta love his helmet designs that he does for his home races. And this year it was almost like a. Uh, everyone basically said it's like yeah Viagra tablet there for for Valentino. So hitting back at the critics who are telling him he needs to retire. He's like nah, oh you know I can keep going with uh, this. You know I can last longer. <laughs> That's so, so corny, but so funny. And then you look at championship rivals, uh, Maverick Vinales, Fabio Quattararo. They had shocker of a race, both of them respectively. Quattararo now lost the championship lead to Andrea Davizioso, who finished in the top five, I think. But, you know, he's been accumulating the points while Quattararo scored no points. So that really hurt him. But it's all very close still. Valentino Rossi, I think is now up to fourth in the championship and isn't too far behind either, so it's anyone's game at the moment without Marc Marquez there, so yeah, we look forward to seeing uh, what they've got in store for us this weekend, but otherwise, that's pretty much it. Got supercars, got MotoGP, got other things I can do over the weekend too, some movies to watch, just chill, enjoy. Anyway guys, thanks for tuning in. Drop us a line as always uh, on our Twitter page, Hit the Apex Media. Otherwise, I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in and uh, see you next time.